Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Troy Parsons, who was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 17 with Crohn's disease. In those 10 years, he's faced adversity, enjoyed accomplishments and successes, and suffered through failures. But above all, he has continued learning and is ready to face any challenge in the next 10 years that may come. Thank you so much for joining me today, Troy, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So as my listeners know, I like to start by asking about your IBD story. So why don't you go ahead and jump right in and share your Crohn's journey, a little bit about when you first started having symptoms and how your diagnosis finally came about. Sure. Um, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try and give you the short version of it. Um, We've got time. <laughs> perfect. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 17 um, in 2009. I just turned 28 this week, so um, it was about 10 years ago, just over. And uh, so I'll give you the short version. Uh, I was in my senior year of high school, which is grade 12 if you're in Canada. Um, and I went to Mexico for a week and I returned with uh, some sort of infection and they weren't really sure what it was. Um, it ended up going through a bunch of tests and they eventually figured out I had a bacterial infection, um, which basically it was a parasite that I picked up, whether it was from something, I didn't drink any of the water there, but maybe it was mm. to do with um, with some of the fruits and vegetables that I ate because they wash, wash everything in the water. Mm. Um, so I ended up getting that and I went on a few bouts of antibiotics and eventually we got rid of it and I felt okay for a couple months. Um, I had some abdominal cramping along the way, which I just thought was residual effects from the infection. But um, I went on another trip with my family down to California and I ended up getting very sick there. Um, we ended up having to turn around and and ship me back home, back to Canada because we went to a, a doctor there and it, and they suggested like, this is bad. You need to, need to get home um, and do a bunch of tests. So I ended up, uh, it was a long few months and I got diagnosed with C. diff. Um, so that was uh, not a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think they said when I was 17, they had never seen anyone at my age get that, which is something healthy 17 year old kids probably uh, shouldn't get. But yeah. um, it took several months uh, to get rid of it. I went through I think it was three or four cycles of heavy antibiotics before eventually we got rid of it in about July. And I had just finished high school, so I, I just graduated. Um, but I was I was deathly sick. Um, I was going to the bathroom 20 plus times a day. Um, I was internally bleeding. I was sleeping 14 hours a day. I couldn't I couldn't work. I couldn't leave the house. It was wasn't a fun time for sure and eventually we got rid of C. diff um, but I kept my condition kept getting worse so they I went through three doctors um, I kept going through different general physicians before someone finally said you, you need to go see a, 
a gastroenterologist and they actually, I'm from a small town in Canada, mm -hmm. if I haven't mentioned that. Um, I'm on Vancouver Island, which is um, on the West Coast, uh, about a two hour ferry from Vancouver, which is just north of Seattle, if you're American. Um, so I came from a really small town and there was only a few gastroenterologists on Vancouver Island. And, uh, so I got referred to a general surgeon and eventually this was like three months later, I had lost 30 pounds, um, oh, wow. couldn't work. It was, yeah, it was a rough time. Um, and eventually he sent me in for a CT scan and instantly said, you're the poster boy for Crohn's. So that was something I had never heard of before. And um, that was in about September. So that was just 10 years ago, last month that I got diagnosed with Crohn's. So you'd never heard of Crohn's before, never heard of IBD. Was it, did they give you any information? Was it surprising? Was there anything in your family with autoimmune type diseases? No, I, I, I like to say I'm the chosen one. Um, there's a history, <laughs> a, history, a history of bowel cancer in my family, but nothing autoimmune related. Um, and I, I was 17. I was kind of naive and I hadn't heard of, you know, you're 17, you yeah. think you're pretty invincible. Because um, before that, I was otherwise healthy and an athlete and I ate really well. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a result of something, you know, I did or abusing my body at a young age. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I ended up getting diagnosed and it was kind of a shock and I didn't really know what to expect because I'd never heard of it and I didn't, I didn't know anyone personally that had it. So it was, there wasn't a lot of information out at the time. So you got your diagnosis and you're just out of high school. What was the first thing that they started you on? Did they immediately start you on medications or what did treatment look like after that point? Um, they immediately started me on prednisone. Um, I was in pretty rough shape when I, when I showed up to my general surgeon, who was the one, he, speci he specialized in um, gastrointestinal issues. Um, and he directly put me on prednisone. Um, I think I was on a few other things, azathioprine and pentassa they put me on. But um, it was the prednisone that really seemed within several days, I, I my symptoms seemed to um, get a lot better. But I mean, I wasn't, I, I was a lot better than I was, but I was, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was still in pretty rough shape for the next six months after my diagnosis. So I uh, was planning on going to university right out of grade 12, but I had to postpone that a year before I could uh, get my health under control. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what happened because you've gone through quite a few different surgeries now, and it seems like it was kind of an uphill battle to really eventually get to a good spot. So tell me a little bit about that next phase in your journey. Yeah, so this was 2009, um, I guess transitioning into 2010. So I was still 17. I was pretty young. Um, again, when you're that age, you think you're kind of invincible. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, this is just a bump in the road. I'll uh, try and continue on with my life. And I, I kind of at first kind of refused to acknowledge my disease. And I ended up, you know, it's kind of trial and error. You're 17. You want to be a normal 17, 18 year old kid and have a fun time. Yeah. But um, my condition, you know, it was, it was really up and down. It took, I, I was hospitalized a lot of times. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of hospitalizations and other things going on um, related to my disease that often, you know, knocked me out for a while. So I, I was kind of working, but I, I was just 
um, kind of fumbling along and couldn't really find a, a groove with my health. Um, so I ended up going to university in 2010. Um, you know, it was fast forward a couple years. I, I kind of had things figured out a little bit, but it was always, I was always, you know, worried about, am I going to be able to eat something or am I, you know, it was in between, I was trying my best in between, you know, heading to the hospital or in between flare-ups trying to get university, take university classes full time. So that was a bit of a handful until 2013. They, my disease got um, progressed bad enough that I had some significant scarring and they, they planned uh, my first surgery in 2013. What was it like to hear that? It sounds like it was not an emergent surgery where they had to take you in right away. Did you have time to kind of mentally prepare for it? Um, what was that like? Um, at that point, I mean, I had significant surgeries with other broken bones and other injuries. So I, I just thought it wasn't a huge deal. They, they were pretty confident that I wouldn't have too many issues if they removed this one section of bowel that was badly scarred. Um, so I, I didn't think it was going to be a huge deal. So they ended up going in there. Um, they went in laparoscopically and uh, they were going to do a pretty standard small bowel resection and they pulled everything out um, without getting too graphic and found mm -hmm. that my intestines were too inflamed to do any surgery. So technically they didn't cut my intestine that day, but they pulled everything out and operated on it and, uh, and then put me back together and sent me home and said, we're going to have to postpone this until a later date until everything calms back down. So that was uh, unfortunate news for sure. Mm -hmm. So what happened then kind of lead me through, cause you're in a, it seems like you're in a really good spot now. So you've overcome all these hurdles. Tell me a little bit about that journey from going through these surgeries and the hurdles until how you eventually got to where you're at now, which seems like you're in a, a very good spot. Well, after that uh, first surgery, um, their backup plan was they sent me home and they uh, put me on Humira. So that's a biologic medication if you're unfamiliar with it for IBD. And uh, it was, it was, they wanted to put me on that when I was first diagnosed, but in Canada, there's some, it's, it's quite an expensive medication. So my coverage, um, they wanted to make sure all the other medications didn't work first. So unfortunately it took four years before they could approve me to be put on wow. Humira. And at the time there wasn't very many people on Humira for Crohn's because it was pretty early in, early in the game as far as biologics go. I think there was something mm -hmm. like five or 10,000 people in Canada that were on biologics and there's a lot more now, but at the time I was kind of one of the first, uh, first patients to go on it. So mm -hmm. they put me on that and things definitely got better. Um, and I ended up transferring universities, so I went to a whole different, a whole different province or state. If you're American, and I, I, I moved away from home, and it was kind of I started a, a completely different life. So that was uh, pretty stressful with a chronic disease. But um, Humira worked really well, but I still did get flare-ups. So I was still getting hospitalized. I was still getting weird side effects that were related to my disease. Um, so I eventually you know it, it takes it took me years of trial and error um and growth before i could kind of um figure out what worked specifically for me as far as diet and nutrition and lifestyle goes um when you're a full-time student I'm, it's pretty stressful i was taking a a full course load trying to 
make it through. But um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a a bit of a handful. Um, Humera worked really well. I'm still on it today, but um, it it wasn't perfect. So my disease kept slowly progressing and slowly getting worse until I had another surgery actually in 2017 when I finished after I finished university. So they were always threatening to give me another surgery. And they said, if your disease Mm -hmm. gets worse, um, we'll have to, I mean, it's a pretty serious surgery. So I would have had to probably drop out of university that semester that year to put my health first. And so did you find, did that help put you into remission once you went through that, that surgery in 2017? Yeah, so I, um, I I was pretty good while I was on Humera. I was certainly a lot better um, prior to being on Humera in 2013. I think I was hospitalized over 14 times. Um, so I was in the hospital at least once a month. Um, so that was not a very good year, unfortunately. And uh, it, everything settled down, but it was kind of up, up and down until I finally um, in – I graduated university in uh, winter semester of 2016, and uh, basically right after I finished, um, my disease started to progress even further, so I ended up getting more scarring, and it got to the point of where my my quality of life was suffering, so it was uh, that wasn't a very good mm-hmm. few months, and they put me on a wait list for a surgery because it wasn't a um, emergency surgery they were going to do, so I had a few months to prepare, but it got to the point where unfortunately like I couldn't work I was I was in chronic pain every day until I ended up getting a uh, it was called a left side hemicolectomy where they removed about 40 centimeters or 16 inches of my small Mm -hmm. bowel so after that um, after that my disease has been great I I mean I can eat mostly unrestricted there's a lot of things I do have to watch but um, it was significantly better than when I was uh prior to my surgery, I should say. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to jump into the diet, but before we do that, um, thinking about your surgeries, in hindsight, is there anything that you wish you would have known beforehand that would have helped you get through the surgery or the recovery process or any advice that you would have to someone who maybe is possibly facing surgery? My advice is um, certainly weigh your options. I really liked how my my GI and my surgeon wanted to push uh, the surgery as long as possible because again, um, if your disease progresses to a, a bad enough point, you're going to have to get part of your intestine removed at a further date. And you only have so much, you only have so much intestine to remove. So I I liked how they waited and they kind of uh, pushed to wait until I had finished university and my lifestyle was kind mm-hmm. of in a more stable place. Um, but again, you know, surgery is always a risk. There's side effects you can get with it there's it's uh it's a pretty big lifestyle adjustment when you have to put your life on hold for several months um yeah. so it's uh it's something to think about for sure but it certainly helped me and I know it's helped a lot of others that I have uh talked to as well yeah which is great it's awesome to hear that you're doing so much better now so tell me a little bit about that journey with nutrition you mentioned earlier that it really was a trial and error process, especially early on and then as as your disease progressed and over these past 10 years. So talk to me a little bit about your food journey and how that's evolved because we all know as with IBD, we're all so different, but it's there's so many similarities and there's usually other people that connect with 
you know, the same things that we went through. So tell me a little bit about how your diet progressed, what it looks like now, and if there's any trips, t- tips or tricks you've learned throughout the years that have helped you with your digestion. Oh, there's, uh, there's, I could do a whole podcast episode on just this, but, uh, yeah, basically from the time I was diagnosed, my nutrition has drastically changed kind of throughout my journey. Um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was 17. I, I ate really well considering, um, you know, most kids at 17 don't even take nutrition into account, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was always, you know, interested in sports and I had always trained like an athlete and ate like an athlete. So I, I ate really well as a kid. And then once I was diagnosed, um, I, I just thought, you know, I didn't know nearly as much as I do now about nutrition, but, um, I ate a pretty standard, you know, well-balanced diet. And eventually I was, I did a lot of elimination diets to try and figure out exactly what's what's causing these issues. And I, I, I ended up eliminating a lot of things. Um, is there any specific elimination diet that you found worked best for you to go through that process? Um, there's a lot of different diets you can do, whether it's AIP, you can do autoimmune paleo, there's paleo diets, there's vegan diets. Everyone claims, you know, something works for them, but everyone's so individual and what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it, for me, I, I just ended up finding what works. Um, when I, as my disease progressed and I ended up getting more scarring, um, my problem was I had a stricture in my intestine, which is a buildup of scar tissue. So a lot of things that were fibrous or had skins on them um, caused me bowel obstructions. So that was when I'd have to get hospitalized. So it got to the point where like I had one grape and it put me in the hospital for a week. So my, I forget what the aperture was when they gave me surgery, but they said it was centimeters, centimeters wide. So you couldn't fit very much food through that. Oh. That was undigested. So I had to restrict a lot of things. Like I couldn't eat any, any raw vegetables. Um, I wasn't eating any kind of greens or salads. I eliminated all red meat. Uh, nuts and seeds didn't work. Uh, pretty much anything that was difficult to digest that wasn't wasn't baby food basically was mm-hmm. uh, what I had to eliminate unfortunately but um, yeah it's it's come a long way um, after this surgery they removed that one section that was severely uh, damaged and now I can eat most things unrestricted but there's certain things for sure that I I try and avoid or or minimize mm-hmm. um, do you what want are, specifics on yeah, those? Yeah, what are, what are some of your um, trigger foods, so to speak, or what are some of your safe foods, you know, some of each that you've found over the years? Yeah, there's uh, there's certain trigger foods that I would say um, cause my body to become inflamed, um, which are different than foods that I just can't digest. Um, trigger foods are something that I think, you know, don't do so well with me are greasy foods, deep fried things. Um, I generally avoid all of those. Um, alcohol doesn't do very well for me. Um, things like that, uh, just generally unhealthy food. Like I, I don't eat fast food. I can't eat, you know, a lot of stuff like that, but, um, foods that cause me digestive issues, um, whether they're healthy or not, um, nuts and seeds, I have to, I can eat those, but they usually have to be in a nut butter. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I have to minimize the amount that I eat. Cause I 
you eat a handful of almonds, um, sometimes the, the skin of the almond causes issues. Um, I don't eat raw greens very often, or I, I can't typically. I usually try and blend them or juice them. Mm-hmm. Um, red Do you find meat, them easier to digest when you blend them? They're easier. Oh, to absolutely. Take. I, I don't mm-hmm. seem to have a problem if I if I juice them or I blend them into a basically a smoothie. Okay. Um, so that's some that's a big tip I would yeah recommend for most people. Tip. I've taken yeah I've taken greens powders in the past, but they don't seem to do as much as just getting a whatever blender you want get a good one that can blend everything into a very fine pulp almost and that seems to be really good Mm -hmm. um other things that cause me issues red meat um i love steak steak's my favorite food Mm -hmm. but unfortunately like i i think i've had two steaks in the last probably 10 years and every time has been not very i haven't had a good time after put it that way yeah yeah um I, I don't do pork very often. Uh, other meats seem to be fine. Um, I stick to basically lean meats like a chicken or a turkey or fish. Um, I don't have any problems with those. Um, uncooked vegetables are ones that I really have to stay away from. Like even if it's un, if it's a, like a raw carrot or I definitely mm-hmm. stay away from cruciferous vegetables like a raw broccoli or cauliflower, um, those things cause havoc for sure but if if they're cooked really well into like a pulp almost um Mm -hmm. i can sometimes get away with them but it really depends um if there's inflammation in my intestine present there's there's i'm gonna not have a fun time (laughs) yeah so was it difficult for you because fitness and nutrition has always been a big part of your life was it hard for you to go through this path of trying to juggle i'm sure when you were younger and you had specific goals you had perhaps a specific diet you were, you know, like, here's my healthy diet I'm going to follow. Was it hard to kind of juggle that as you juggled your disease and what you could eat and to try to find that happy medium of where everything worked? Yeah, it's just, it's just like my uh, nutrition journey as well as my disease journey. Um, everything kind of evolves and progresses as you go. Um, you know, when I was 17, I didn't know much about nutrition. So I, I just tried to eat, you know, someone says, Oh, eat chicken and rice or, mm-hmm. you know, just generic nutrition advice. And I ate pretty well, but it wasn't until I really kind of checked in with my body and asked how I feel after eating a specific meal that I really kind of learned a broader understanding of how, how certain foods affect me and what, what might, what might work for my body better than something else. Um, but as far as fitness and nutrition goes, I mean, it's it's so individual. I have to eat very different from someone else who just, you know, is training strictly for performance. But mm-hmm. I'd say how I eat now is I, I eat for performance. I typically don't eat for taste as much. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my foods are pretty bland, pretty boring, um, but they seem to work really well for me. I mean, it's kind of every everyone laughs at me when I'll pull out a container or Tupperware container of, of, you know, something that I brought while everyone else is eating at a restaurant. But I know how it makes me feel when I eat something mm-hmm. uh, that I probably shouldn't. And it, it, that's, that's my biggest advice is, you know, don't just because other people do it doesn't mean um, it's going to be, it's going to be the best for your body, you know, your yeah. body better than everyone else. Was that a hard mind set shift to start looking at food that way? Because I'm sure, I'm sure in the past you've enjoyed food quite a bit. Um, I'm sure there's still I think things you does, enjoy. Yeah. 
tell me, was that hard to shift that your thinking into looking at it as I know I'm going to feel good with this. I'm just going to stick with this. And did it make it easier to follow certain protocols? Um, well, I, I just kind of make the association that nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. And yeah. that's something I try and tell everyone. Um, I, I try and tell my parents that I try and tell my friends that, um, but I mean, it doesn't always stick, but once you've truly felt good, you, you know what that feels like and you, you really want to do your absolute best to feel that way all the time. So I just look at something I'm like, that would taste really good right now, but that doesn't get me towards my goals or that mm -hmm. doesn't, um, I know how that's going to make me feel. Yeah. And I love that. I, mean, I love that phrase. Nothing f tastes as good as healthy feels. I think for those of us with IBD, it's really easy to understand exactly what's behind a statement like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm certainly not perfect. I, I, I love eating pizza or a burger as much as everyone else, <laughs> but I try and at least make it, you know, make those few and far between and, and really, you know, pick your days that you're, or pick the times that you really want to enjoy something. Mm -hmm. whether it's alcohol or whether it's something, you know, that, you know, it's not good for your body, but, um, sometimes you do have to live a little. Yes. <laughs> sometimes. I think everyone knows that sometimes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about your fitness journey. Fitness is a huge part of your life. Um, your Instagram is flared up fitness. And, uh, so you're, you're big into fitness. You're talking about that a lot. Do you find that fitness and exercise helps with the management of your IBD and how have you juggled fitness and IBD? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I eat, sleep and breathe fitness. I always <laughs> have. It's, I, it came from a background in sports and it just kind of evolved into, as I moved away from sports, I love the training aspect of things and I, I just continued on. It's, it's the, my passion. It's what I wake up at 5am every day and drag myself to the gym or whether I'm mountain biking or doing, you know, other fitness related activities. It's, I, it, for me, it's my mental health. That's the biggest thing. Um, it's, you know, find something you enjoy doing and do it every day. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a chore that it's not something that I, you know, dread doing. It's something I wake up and I, I can't wait to go to bed because I know I get to wake up and go work out in the morning. So yeah. it's, it's uh, for me, it feels like I'm beating my disease and it's something I can kind of be in complete control of. Um, and I love, I've always been interested in fitness and bodybuilding and, and training like an athlete. So it's, it's pretty amazing how you can manipulate what you eat and how you train to look a certain way or perform a certain way. That's what really, you know, I've kind of fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. How have you balanced your fitness and lifting with times of flares how have you been able to manage resting enough but still f being able to enjoy that passion of yours um well that's something I still struggle with I mm -hmm. mean do as I say not as I do mm -hmm. but um uh generally like it, it really depends on the flare I've I've been doing this for quite a while I think I've been training in the gym since I was 14 so 14 years. Um, and I've kind of learned to understand what my body, you know, what's, what's pushing myself too hard and what's, um, you know, kind of just listening to your body and knowing exactly that walking that fine line of, you know, pushing yourself too much and uh, when, when it's time to kick back and rest a bit. But 
Um, it's something I, I still struggle with, but typically I'll listen to my body. And if, if I'm beat up and not feeling well, I mean, it's, it's not going to kill you to take a week or two off the gym or mm-hmm. however much time, or maybe I'll, maybe I'll skip going and lifting and I'll do yoga instead, or I'll go for a walk or I'll, I'll try and do something active. But again, if my body needs to sleep 16 hours, I'm going to take some time off the gym and sleep 16 hours. It, it really depends on my goals and what I'm training for. But mm-hmm. um, I, I try and put my health first because that's the most important commodity I have. Yeah, those are definitely great tips. And I love how you said, you know, if you take a week off, you're not gonna, <laughs> it's, it's not gonna destroy all of your gains and everything that you have with simply taking a week to recover and let your body rest if it needs it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, people always think you're gonna, lose all your progress in a week. It, it doesn't work that way. I took two <laughs> weeks off and I took two weeks off this summer and I think I came back stronger after probably because I was so beaten up and mm-hmm. your body needs that time to recover. So as long as you're eating well and, and uh, you know, taking time to work on your fitness outside of, you know, the gym, uh, you're, you're not going to lose much progress. Yeah. Do you find it helps you overall with your symptoms? Did it ever help kind of keep you in a health, I guess, you know, just a healthier state overall. Did you notice any correlation between your symptoms and level of fitness? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the healthier you are overall, I think the better, you know, your disease is. Um, prior to going into surgery, I remember talking to, I think it was my GI said, like, the stronger you go in, the, the faster you'll come out. So that's, that's always something that stuck with me. Um, I, I just am always you know, trying to be a better version of myself every day. And, and I think that helps with not only my disease, but my mental health and my, as well as my disease as well. So. Mm -hmm. So tell me about some of the things you've learned over the years with battling IBD for so long. Talk to me a little bit about stress and how you've been able to balance that and maybe some of the things you've learned to help manage that? Because obviously university is stressful. Um, you kind of had to juggle your surgeries around some of those different times. What things have you learned over the years that really help you control stress or to help just bring yourself into a more relaxed kind of a state? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a pretty high-strung person and I do work a pretty stressful job and I'm constantly traveling and, mm-hmm. and my life is very stressful. Um, but there's, a, there's a few things I, I typically try and do daily or at least a few times a week is I find meditation is a really good one that helps me kind of slow things down. Uh, fitness, like I said, you know, do something you like to do every day. And for me, that's fitness, whether it's just going for a walk around the block or clearing your head a bit, but, um, I'll try and get out on my mountain bike at least a few times per week and kind of clear my head and stop thinking about work or whatever I'm working on. Yoga is a good one. Um, I mean, I, I'm still, I'm a, I'm a really high strung person and I find it hard to de-stress, but Mm -hmm. um, there's certain times that exercise is my biggest one for sure. But sometimes when you're that stressed out, exercise isn't the the best thing for your body. If you're going to go in and do a really hard workout, it typically ends up setting me back even further. So mm-hmm. you really got to listen to your body and kind of uh, take time off when you need it. Very good advice. So you mentioned meditation. Is that something that you've always naturally done or is that something you've learned to do over the years? And then tell me a little bit about how you 
kind of got into meditation and maybe some of the tools that you use to help guide you through that? Um, I think I learned about it. I was a pretty young and I went through some course in middle school. I remember it was a class and we ended up doing meditation then. And it always kind of stuck with me as something that I found relatively easy. Um, and I just kind of, I, I didn't really take it up until later in life, but when I was really stressed out, I would, I would use my own guided meditation. I'd use an app or I would, you know, just do it. Uh, once you've done it enough times with an app, I can generally just shut my brain off. And mm -hmm. it's really just kind of detoxing from all the different thoughts that you have coming in and going out. And um, it's just something that I've kind of always done. But it's there's a lot of great apps out there that you can uh, you can definitely follow along. It's I know it's hard if you're someone who's kind of uh, very hyper and it's hard to shut your brain off. Mm -hmm. How long do you usually meditate for? Because you describe yourself as a very... Uh, high strung fast paced kind of a guy so how long do you find uh, you can sit and meditate for and what's that balance for you if I can find the time it's probably 10 minutes is usually mm -hmm. all I need um, but if you know I, I haven't been great with meditation lately but I find um, my time in the gym is typically my meditation or basically anything that you're solely focused on the task. Like for me, it's been mountain biking when you're riding down a mountain and you're going pretty fast, you know, that you're not thinking about what you're going to have for lunch or, mm -hmm. you know, what you forgot to do at work. That's you're strictly, you know, focused on what you're doing um, for that whether it's five minutes, an hour, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about anything else. When I'm in the gym, I'm there to work out. I'm not there mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, waste time. So I find that's kind of my meditation lately. But if I feel really stressed out and I need to slow down, then I'll, I'll throw on, you know, one of the apps or I'll, uh, you know, follow my own guided meditation on my own. Mm -hmm. That's a great tip. So tell me, what are some of the things you've learned over the years when you do have a flare? Because um, it sounds like hopefully you're not having as many now post-surgery and since you're doing better. But thinking back to the past when you would have these flare-ups, what were some of the things that you found helped get you through those times or to help just take care of your body? Um, my biggest advice would be... Um... I li listen to your body. I've, you know, sound like a broken record. I've said this a few <laughs> times, but, um, it can't be said know, enough, honestly, can't, though. Can't be said enough. Exactly. Um, you know, listen to your body, um, just check in with it, sit down and really think about what your body needs right now. Um, for me, I do a lot of fasting. If, if the first thing I do, if I, I think I'm in a flare up or I'm not feeling well, I'll go into a extended mm -hmm. fast. Um, I know a lot of people do it to lose weight, but I don't think that's, that's probably not the right approach to use it. Um, I think it builds a poor relationship with food if you're doing it as a binging and a, you know, yeah. purging kind of uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. But for me, I do it for the health um, benefits, uh, decreases inflammation, it gives your that can't speak, your digestive system a break. And, uh, and for me, I feel great. Um, you're not going to die from going 24 hours without food. You're not going to mm -hmm. die for going 48 hours without food. You're you're not going to lose muscle. Um, it, it, that's kind of that. That's been the biggest game changer for me. Is um, just re it kind of changed my relationship with food when I realized I can go 48 hours without eating and I'll be just fine. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about that process of diving into 
fasting. Um, how did you, I imagine you had to work up to doing something like a 48 hour fast. So tell me kind of that process of what got you into fasting, how you built up to it, how you've strengthened your fasting muscle, so to speak. And then what's the longest that you've gone when you're really trying to get your body to heal? I like that, the fasting muscle. Um, <laughs> I know it all too well. I mean, it's not something, you know, if you had told me at 17, like, hey, don't eat for 24 hours, I would have died. You know, I would have been mm-hmm. like, the world's going to end. There's, there's, you know, I, I would have never made it. But, um, you know, you got to work your way up. I'd start with skipping breakfast or something and everyone freaks out when you skip breakfast. Mm-hmm. But if you're properly fed and you're eating a, a healthy diet, I mean, skipping breakfast is not going to be the end of the world. Um, and eventually you can just, you know, push yourself a little bit further every time. But, um, my, my thing is I, I try and I have a certain number of calories or I know exactly what I probably should be eating in a day. And I'll try and I'll try and get most of that in after my fast. But that's the big thing that I find difficult is if I say I need to eat probably 3000 calories to maintain my weight. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can get some of those in, but I'm not going to get all of those in. So that's something when I'm really, you know, training for performance, fasting is great, but I try and do a prolonged fast usually once a week. Um, it's something I still do even when I'm not mm-hmm. in a flare up. But and uh, how long, how long will that prolonged fast be? I typically try and do a 24 hour fast once a week, okay. but um, it really depends on my work schedule. If I'm, if I'm out in the field um, and I'm really active, uh, I'm getting 25,000 steps a day, 30,000 steps plus a workout, mm-hmm. probably not going to be able to fast. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll try and do at least a 16 hour. So, I, I mean, I'm, this is just what I do, but I, I typically try and do a 16 hour minimum. Um, sometimes it doesn't work with my schedule, but, um, it's something I still do whether I'm in a flare up or not, but, uh, fasting for sure is one of my favorite, favorite things to do. Um, when I'm in a flare up, other things that are really, that have really helped me is I'll, I'll drastically change my diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, uh, it really depends on my symptoms, but if I'm getting significant abdominal pain or I'm, I, I'm really inflamed, I'm having a lot of bowel movements. Um, I'll stick to plain, easy to digest meals. Um, I'll skip all the difficult things to digest like skins or vegetables. Um, I'll skip to, th- I'll, I'll try and stick with like a bone broth or very basic plain meals, like a plain chicken and rice or something that's Mm -hmm. really easy to digest. Um, Other things I would do would be go on a liquid diet. So if I have, if I am getting significant uh, pain, I'll I'll try and fast. And then I would go into something like a, I would drink a lot of smoothies or bone broth or something that's really easy to digest, not a lot of bulk going through your digestive system. And that's something that's been a game changer for me. Is there anything specific you would recommend or advice you would give for what you would use for your liquid diets, like certain types of smoothies? Are there various ingredients you like to use when you do those or certain things you like to stay away from when you do those? Um, As long as it's really well blended, um, I probably wouldn't avoid many things. I would stick, I would try and stick to things that are low, low in fiber, probably avoid things like that have large seeds like raspberries or blackberries, but, um, I would have bananas. I would put greens in it. Um, it really depends how fine you can blend it up. Bone broth is my favorite one. If I'm, 
you know, want something really easy on my uh, digestive system. Uh, yeah, pr- pretty typical. Um, I, I try and stay away from protein powders and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't like whey very much. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that's that's hard to digest for a lot of people. But um, there's other there's other protein powders. Whether you want to do a vegan one or you want to do something else, that's always an option. It really depends on how how well you tolerate that stuff. Yeah. Now, do you make your own bone broth? I'll, uh, I've made my own before, but it's quite a process. Yeah. You know, boil, <laughs> yeah. boil the bones for what, 24 or 36 hours. So I'll just go to my health food store and I'll buy mm-hmm. the, buy one that's frozen or whatever. Yeah. Bone broth is a pretty amazing, uh, liquid. It's, I, I don't think enough people kind of give it the credit that it deserves. Cause it's just really, it's full of nutrition. It's got a lot of great just minerals and just a lot of great benefits in there. Collagen. Yeah. So I definitely am on board with the bone broth, <laughs> but like, yeah, you, I, I don't make it myself. It's too uh, cumbersome to go. Yeah. We, we just had Thanksgiving last weekend and, and I'm going to make some with the turkey bones because our mm. Canadian Thanksgiving is a little earlier than yours, but, mm-hmm. um, that's always my favorite thing. I'll just boil, throw it in a crock pot or a slow cooker and just boil that stuff for 24 or 36 hours or longer if I can. Yeah. It just becomes that gelatinized goop, which is the, <laughs> the good stuff you want. Exactly. Plus it makes a house smell good. <laughs> oh, it smells great and tastes good too. So It does. It does. So tell me a little bit about the advocacy work that you do. Tell me what you're doing because you you have your blog, you do a lot on Instagram, you also write articles for Oshi Health. Um, so tell me what compelled you to start sharing your story and then how did you go down this path of becoming an advocate? Yeah, so um, I started my blog, it's called Flared Up Fitness. Um, you can find it on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Flared Up Fitness, and it's flaredupfitness.com. So I started there in, I think it was 2015 or 2014. I don't, it's been a while. So um, anyways, I started that just because when I was first diagnosed, it was 2009. There, I, there was not a lot of information online mm-hmm. about Crohn's or colitis or anything like that. So it was it was kind of a shot in the dark that I, I, I really wish now there's incredible resources that you can come across. But at the time, I, I just wanted, you know, someone to hopefully, hopefully not go through the same experience that I've had. And if I can offer one tip and help them along their journey, then it makes it all worthwhile. So that's kind of why I started it. Um, it's been the best thing I've ever done. I, I would have never, you know, I just, one day I'm like, well, I, I saw the need for it and I just went for it and I mm-hmm. didn't really think too much into it. And it ended up being one of the most incredible things I've ever done. So it's certainly been pretty awesome connecting with these people all over the world, like yourself that mm-hmm. um, suffer from similar issues um, as me. So it's been great. That's awesome. Do you think it's helped or do you think it's changed your view of the disease over the years as you've written about it and connected with more people over it? Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said before, I when I was first diagnosed, I, I had never met anyone with IBD. So it, it wasn't till probably 2014 
just after I started my blog that other people would come out to me and say like, Hey, look, I suffer from the same thing as you. And I, you know, I don't like to talk about it or tell anyone, but they seem, you know, to open up to someone else that has similar issues as myself. So it's pretty, it's been awesome. I Mm -hmm. can't tell you how valuable it's been just to share my own story. And, uh, it's amazing how many other people can relate. It doesn't really matter where you live or where you came from. There's always someone with IBD that I can connect to and just knowing exactly what they've been through themselves. I think it's such a powerful tool to be able to do that. And, and I love being able to share our stories and connect. And the thing I love about the blogging is it also kind of, and maybe you find this too, but it also kind of forces you to reflect on what's happened and you kind of get that extra analysis of, okay, this obviously didn't work in hindsight, or this is working and, and maybe kind of helps you brainstorm and think of new things to do going forward. It's just kind of that good reflective process on our own journeys. Yeah, it's for sure. It's certainly kind of, you know, it's not just for someone else. It's for myself as well. It's, it's like you said, it's a good time to reflect and uh, kind of look at things you've done in the past that have been successful, whether they're successful or not. Um, It's just a good way to kind of talk about everything you've been through with your disease. It helps your mental health. And I hope it helps other people along the way as well um, too. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, having those stories out there is so valuable. Is there one thing as you've gone through your journey up to this point, is there one thing that you wish people knew about IBD that they don't? Um, from a patient perspective or from someone, you know, either or, or both. Um, (laughs) or both. Sure. Um, I mean, I wish there was more information about Crohn's. I mean, it's not a glamorous disease, um, or colitis. It's, it's something that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, it's something I was very self-conscious of at a younger age. Um, it's not something you want to talk about poop and, you know, stuff yeah. like that is not a, is, is a kind of taboo topic and it, it's getting a lot better, but um, it's certainly not something that you, you know, I, I typically, even though I run a blog and I work as a professional, it's not something I bring up to someone I just met typically until mm-hmm. you get to know me a little better, unless, unless you've read my blog or, or something like that. But, you know, especially at work, it's something that I just don't bring up. Yeah, it's 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 something I kind of keep to myself unless I really need to let someone know. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. It's even as much as I do talk about it, it's I still don't talk about it enough, and it's still not not even close to being the first thing I bring up with you know when you meet different people or just when you're living your life. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't really know how you can just bring it up. Yeah. And- <laughs> You meet someone and you're, hey, I'm Troy, I have Crohn's. Exactly. It's it's not something, you know, you typically want to bring up right away. But um, as as it it gets more advocacy and it becomes more uh, socially acceptable, if you want to call it Mm -hmm. that, um, I I think it becomes a lot easier. I mean, that's kind of why I like, you know, putting it out there on social media because there's so many people that you would never know. If you looked at me right now, I don't think you'd ever know I have a – a chronic disease. Exactly. Same with yourself. Yeah. You look like a normal, healthy person for the most part. And most of us do. We just, we, and we, we learn to hide it over the years where it's just 
part of it is you don't want to be seen as the sick person. And part of it is you kind of want to, at least for me, you know, kind of fool myself that no, I'm perfectly fine. I can go do all these things. And, and then to the world, we just look like we're, we're healthy and normal and living life. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I, that's, that's, you hit the nail on the head. It's, you you don't want to be seen as someone who's sick or has a incurable disease. You you just want to be seen as a normal person. And that's kind of, I'm pretty good at hiding it, very good Mm -hmm. at hiding it. But um, again, it's, I wish people understood what it's like to have an invisible illness and you don't have to, you know, be in a wheelchair or something like that to, you know, for people to sympathize for you. Exactly. So go ahead, as we get ready to wrap up, go ahead and remind everyone all the places where they can find you online. Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Flared Up Fitness. Um, My blog is flaredupfitness.com. And I want to give a shout out to Oshi Health. Um, You mentioned it before, but I don't think I went into it. That's another place you can find me. There's a bunch of articles on it. Um, Oshi Health is a IBD-focused mobile app that... um, it has a mobile tracker. It's pretty awesome. It's, it's been one of the coolest things I've ever done with IBD. It's, they approached me through my blog and they wanted a patient perspective on what you'd like to see in a, in an app. And I've always wanted to start my own app, but I, I didn't really know where to start. So it's, uh, it's, they've got a a tracker in there that helps you manage your health and overall well being, And it's, uh, it's got lots of Q and A stuff. Um, I'm not sure if you've checked it out, but it's. I have it's not. Cool. I was just going to ask. Tell me a little bit more about kind of what you can track and what are the different features, the things that the app lets you do. Yeah. Um, so it has a symptoms and lifestyle tracker. Um, it asks you a bunch of questions, and it base. I mean, I love stats. I love, mm-hmm. you know, I have a Fitbit and I track everything pretty religiously. I. I track my sleep, I track my steps, um, stuff like that. So I think it's pretty cool that you can track your symptoms and it connects with your Fitbit. So, you know, it'll give you a sleep rating or a, um, basically a rating out of a hundred on your symptoms. It'll ask you a series of questions and you can, um, you know, which is something you can go back three months, six months, a year, as long as you've been tracking consistently and you can Mm -hmm. kind of track the ups and downs of your, your disease, which I think is great. I mean, for someone like myself, who's had Crohn's for over 10 years, it's, it's not something I would do as consistently as someone who might be recently diagnosed. Cause I, mm-hmm. I've kind of figured a lot of those things out, but for someone who's that, that's the, if someone asks me any questions about um, when they're newly diagnosed, like where they can get information, that's, that's the first place I would send them. Um, awesome. They have lots of yeah, they have lots of content on there. Um, it's it's the best place for IBD, and I'm not just pumping their tires because I've I've helped them out with a lot of articles. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, if I were to design an app, this is exactly what I would like to see in an app from a patient perspective. They've got they've got health experts, um, they've got GIs on there, they've got um, some pretty highly credible people who are answering a lot of IBD questions. They have um, a lot of the blog posts that I've written, I haven't wrote as much on flared up fitness cause I've been helping mm-hmm. them out with their own, um, patient perspective articles. And they also have articles from other medical professionals as well. So it's pretty awesome. So I, I recommend everyone checking it out. You can find it on the Apple or Android, Android app store. Uh, and it's called Oshi health. O S H I health. That's awesome. It sounds 
Fantastic. I'm going to download it today, honestly. it uh, I'm surprised I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for someone who's had um, IBD for a long time, the tracker might not be something that you typically would use um, as often as someone who's recently mm-hmm. diagnosed because I kind of, I, I, I mean, it's something I've been doing you know, subconsciously for the yeah. last 10 years, it's, but for the other content on there, as far as um, articles go and questions that other people have asked, I mean, I've, I've asked questions on there. It's great. It's pretty, pretty incredible. That's cool. Well, I'll put it, all the links in the show notes so that it's easy for everyone who's listening for everyone to go ahead and find it. Yeah, for sure. So is there anything that I did not ask that you wanted to share with the audience today? Um. I think you covered most things. Um, I just want to thank you for having me on here. This has been awesome. I mean, I've always wanted to start my own podcast on on Crohn's and fitness, but again, it's just one more thing on my plate, uh, and uh, I've been I've been way too busy lately yeah. to to do that with uh, work and stuff like that. So still trying to figure out how to get more hours into the day. <laughs> exactly. I know I've been putting in 70 to a hundred hours a week for the last three months. So it's, uh, mm. it's tough to find the time to do things um, <laughs> other than, other than work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Troy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking with you and thank you for sharing so many wonderful tips and just your journey and experience and all the advocacy work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm uh, I'm thrilled you had me on. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember... Be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.